Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 172 of the Leading Simple podcast. We try to keep things simple here, and today we're going to try to make something simple that's difficult for all of us. You all know somebody in your life that you think, man, if I had their platform, if I had their influence, if I had their microphone, here's what I'd say, here's what I'd do, here's how I'd help the world. Well, what if you were a friend of that person? What could, what, what would you do if you could leverage your influence, not manipulate, but you could provide influence for an influencer? Well, we have a guest on the podcast today who's a dear friend of mine. We've been friends for many, many years. We've worked together. Uh, we have done life together, and we've helped plant his church, and he's helped lead at our church. He's a great friend. His name's Mark White, and he's a pastor up in Milwaukee. And over the past few years, he's developed a friendship with a general manager of a highly successful sports team. That's all I can tell you about that, but I can tell you this. Mark had a chance over the last few years to become an influencer to one of the most influential people at one of the most successful sports organizations. How did he do that? We're going to find out in in our episode today. Well, today we're sponsored by Compassion International. Compassion has been around for over 65 years. They've sponsored over 2 million children, and you can be a part of that. I know everybody right now, we're thinking of ways to do something beyond ourselves for the holiday seasons. We don't want our kids to just be focused on themselves. I can think of no better way to do that than for you as a family to sponsor a few children through Compassion. Compassion mobilizes churches and individuals on the ground to find kids that need help. And with your donation every month, it's really like 40 bucks a month. It's cheap. It's what you spend at Starbucks. You can change a kid's life. It provides education, provides uh, medical care, uh, provides basic essentials, and uh, helps them out spiritually as well. You're going to want to do this. So go to Compassion.com slash Rusty. We're uh, tracking this so we can see if we hit our goal of a 1,000 kids. So Compassion.com slash Rusty. Make sure you check it out there. Okay, here is my conversation with Mark White. Well, Mark White, thank you for joining the podcast. I believe this is the second time you were with us early, early on in the podcast days. So welcome back. Well, great to be here. Well, I know that um, you hold your 23 months at Real Life Church in high regard. Uh, That's as long as you could take working with me, I guess. So uh, (laughs) tell me some of your highlights, some of your favorite memories of your time at Real Life before you went off to plant a church. Yeah, well, it was a very oppressive environment for sure (laughs) that I could only last 23 months. Yes. No, I tell you, it was, I have so many great memories. You know, I think about it was your first lead pastor job. Yep. You were moving from Kentucky to California, so a little bit of a cultural difference Just there. Just a bit, yep. Yeah, they're a young staff. Uh, we were portable at the time. You hired me as an XP, which is probably your first big mistake that you made as a leader there. I've thought that several times. Yep. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, <laughs> here we are. And uh, I, I look back at that time, and we, just, we were just reaching people, and there was just a purity and yeah. how we were just trying to reach people and taking risks and all that stuff. Uh, just so, so many good memories. But one of my favorite, I always remember this, uh, and I know you're going to remember this when I tell you, tell you what it is. So it was my first official day on the job. And it was a Sunday. And as I said, we were portable at the time. 
We load up the trailers because we're meeting a movie theater. Uh, we go and we park them in our office space. We go and get lunch. We come back and the trailers were gone. Mm-hmm. Someone had stolen them. and It was a couple hundred thousand dollars of equipment. And uh, we had to, I mean, it was like we couldn't figure out what happened. We were so blindsided the whole thing. And yep. we had to figure out the equipment stuff in a week as we had church the next week. But someone made a lot of money off that equipment. <laughs> yes, they did. I don't think you can call it a church plant until you've had something stolen. You know, oh, yeah. I think that's where well, it all I didn't think begins. all of it was going to be stolen. I know. I know. We've had that happen a couple of times now. And, uh, all of our campuses have had that happen too. You'd think we'd learn and get a better lock. but uh, I would think. But we don't. Well, uh, you know, I, I tease you about your time with us, but uh, man, it was so instrumental for us because you helped us get our certificate of, well, it wasn't even a certificate of occupancy, but the ability to get the land, um, yeah. you know, the zoning permit, I should say, uh, to get our land, which uh, was huge. And you crushed that town hall meeting with the uh, city council and uh, it was a, a great experience. So we're forever indebted to you for that. Um, for our listeners who don't remember you from the real life days or mm-hmm. don't know you yet, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, the horrific college that you went to, <laughs> and uh, what you're doing now. Well, first off, when I go back to real life, it's called the glory days. Yes, of real course. Life. Uh, but yeah, I was born in Wisconsin, and I grew up going to church. We actually went to a, a, a small Lutheran church. And uh, I was pretty rebellious uh, throughout my high school years. In fact, so much so that when I got to the end of my high school years, I just said, man, I want to just get out of Dodge, get mm-hmm. out of the state. And so uh, at this time, it was in the 90s. Miami was cool in a lot of ways. They had Miami Vice. <laughs> uh, you had the Miami Hurricanes. So I'm like, I'm just going to go there. And they had an international partner. I never even visited the campus. I just went. Wow. And so I went from Wisconsin to Miami, talk about a culture shock. Mm-hmm. But when I left home, I left church as well. And I never wanted to uh, ever go back to church ever again. And which is interesting, when I went to Miami, I actually started to go back to church during my senior year, which is a, a whole crazy story in itself. Graduated from Miami, went to uh, work for the Coca-Cola company uh, for a while, became a Christian during that time. My now wife, Donna, we were actually dating. We both weren't Christians. She had no church experience at all. Uh, I became a Christian, and I always remember the conversation I, when I told her I became a Christian because she didn't know that I was going back to church at this time. <laughs> and uh, when I told her, she was like, are you going to be weird? And uh, I, it was just that set, set off a string of events. She eventually became a Christian nine months later. And as I'm working in the corporate world, we're now getting married. And we just kept both thinking— um, God's grace is the coolest thing ever. Mm. How do people, how do more people not want to experience it? It's the coolest thing ever. So after about three or four years, we left to go into ministry, worked at some great churches, including real life church, as we just talked about. And then, uh, you wanted to get rid of us after 23 months and you sent <laughs> us, uh, to Milwaukee, uh, to plant a church, which we never thought we would be back in Wisconsin, honestly. So you planted this church called the Ridge there mm-hmm. in Milwaukee, meeting in a movie theater called the Ridge Theater, I believe. Yep. Uh, you get this up and rolling. Just walk us through the progression of church plant to now church with a building. Yeah, it's crazy because I think every church has obviously a very unique story. When we came to Milwaukee, Milwaukee was known as the graveyard of church plants. It had actually had the highest failure rate in the country. Mm. And so when we were meeting in a movie theater, that was 
like in most places around the country, not a big deal, but in Milwaukee, it was like, you don't do that. And people don't go to church in a movie theater and, and all that stuff. But we knew who we were. We knew who we were focused on. And God just, he just really blessed us. And uh, I think we always looked ahead. Mm. And I think it's really important for in a new church, I mean, in an existing as well, but we always looked ahead and we said, what is the cap of this location? Mm -hmm. Because every location, especially portable has a cap. And so we always anticipated that. And then we moved before we hit the cap. And then we moved to a high school. And then we saw the cap of the high school. And we just said, we're either going to reach more people or we're not. We're going to stay where we are. Hmm. And so we just went on this journey to try to find a permanent location. Well, Milwaukee County isn't very church friendly like a lot of counties are nowadays, uh, but a Walmart building opened up and, and we just, our team started praying about it. We're like, we can't afford this or anything, but let's just swing for the fences. We went to see the mayor. He told us it'll never happen. <laughs> and uh, we laughed. And I, when I, when we left the meeting, I could see what his main objectives were, his objections were. And that, and that was, you're going to turn it into a church building. Mm-hmm. Well, we went back to him. We showed him some pictures of what it could be. We showed him, we talked about what we could do, not just for the building, but for the community and what it would do mm. to the economy of that area. And that began a journey of him going, I think this could, this is a possibility. Mm. And uh, we, we shot straight with him. He had bad church experience. Churches had made him promises and hadn't, fall, and hadn't followed through with those. So there was a lot there as well. And we just were straight up with him. And we said up front, we said, we said, listen, we get it. And, uh, We'll be accountable to it, mm. and here's how we'll be accountable to it. And long story short, we moved in, and we're the first in the. This is fascinating, Russ. We actually are. Our property is a Walmart building, okay, mm-hmm. but we are connected with another super center, Walmart supercenter. So we're the first in the country. Walmart actually built a supercenter next to their existing building, and we own part of the property with them. Wow. So it's kind of so fun. Do you get do you get a take from them from their uh, <laughs> their nightly their nightly till? Oh, oh we can only wish. But I tell you what, they've been great partners for us as far as yeah. doing things in the community and stuff like that. They we we'll go to them. They hold some of their corporate training in our building. Oh, that's cool. And it's been a great partnership, honestly. Well, they're good Midwest people. That's yeah. why. Yeah. You can get over the fact they're from Arkansas. That's they're right. They're really good people. That's right. No offense to our Arkansas listeners. Um, <laughs> who are we kidding? They don't have the internet. Anyway, uh, so here's a question, because the reason we're having this conversation on the podcast is because of your ability to connect uh, with influencers and leverage that in a way that is clean and is kind and a blessing to them as well. So, I mean, this is really interesting. You started off with the mayor. Mm-hmm. So while other churches swung and miss, missed, you, you were able to change the mayor's mind. I know there's a lot of church planners out there that are thinking, man, I desperately want land. And every time I talk to the city officials, they say no. Mm-hmm. Explain to us a little bit about why mayors say no and what it is that we can help them say yes to. Yeah, it's such a great question because I think a lot of people think the reason they say no is because of uh, property taxes. Mm. And I, I, don't, I don't think that's the main reason. So the mayor I referred to, uh, he is not a church guy. He is straight up about it, all that stuff, okay? I, I think working with multiple mayors, I think one of the main reasons is first, uh, we approach those relationships a lot of times, and we wouldn't say this, but we do it. And that is, what can you do for me? Mm. 
And so it's really our agenda and we're pushing it on them. But when you go into those type of relationships, first off, I think it's really important to have a relationship with your mayor as much as you can. Right. Okay. And I know it's going to vary. But at the same time, I think going into it going, he's the leader of our city. How can I pastor him? How can I care for him? Whatever that looks like. But that's the approach. And then how can I make his life better? And so when we approached him at the Walmart building, I knew what some of the objections were, but you know what? The property taxes was way down the list. Mm. And so just to approach him with that environment, that heart to acknowledge some of the things, I wanted him to speak what his concerns were and be straight with him. I was okay to go, you know what? You have every right to feel that way. Mm. But I think we got to approach those relationships a little bit different. And so, you know, even now, I mean, he's come to our church a couple times, but it's just such a great relationship. I can go to him at any time and go, how are you doing? What's going on? And uh, he'll tell me if I'm in a good place with him or in a bad place with him. And I respect that a ton. <laughs> I remember when you were at Real Life, you taught me that principle. And I began to do that where I would just, I'd set an appointment with the mayor and our situation is a little bit smaller than Milwaukee, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to get a, uh, the, the city mayor for Santa Clarita is a little bit easier, but, uh, I sat down for coffee with him and you could just tell he's wondering, all right, what do you want? You know, <laughs> what's your angle? Oh, they all are. Yeah. Cause they hear that so much. Mm-hmm. And I just said, listen, I don't want anything. I just want to know how can we help you? And that was something I learned from you and it earned me so much goodwill so that when they were having community meetings and they wanted representatives from the community there, I got called on, mm. you know, I got opportunities to sit in meetings. I normally wouldn't because of that posture. Uh, which really served me well. So grateful to you for that. Oh yeah, we've messed up. I, we had a, I, with the mayor. Right? We messed up on something. We we had made a promise to him, and I, I heard about that we hadn't followed through with it. So I called him up, and I said, "Hey, have we not followed through with this?" And he goes, "No." And I said, "Listen, I am so sorry. Uh, that's on us. Just so you know, this will be done by this time. I'll see it through. Won't happen again." He was like, "Hey, people won't usually." call me and apologize like that. Okay. I can respect that. Hey, thanks for following through. Yeah. And I think that's how we got to approach that. That's so good. All right. So before we move off of church planning, mm-hmm. uh, because I mean, you're one of the few, there's just not that many that make it a or B get into a permanent facility and C to share space with Walmart. I mean, you're <laughs> kind of a, of a rainbow unicorn, I guess. Um, so tell me a little bit about what our church planners can learn about some of the transition points in the way, because the team you started with is not the team you have now. Yeah. The, uh, the board that you started with is not the board you have now. And you and I've talked a lot about how there's a kind of a founder's myth out there. And we've read some of those books, which are really helpful and seen the movie about, uh, um, you know, Ray Kroc from McDonald's and, mm-hmm. but anyway, that, that founding mentality that has to change along the way, otherwise you'll just keep recreating the past. How, how did you kind of get over that hurdle? I, I think it's a couple things. One is I, I was fortunate enough to, uh, work in some bigger churches, serve in some bigger church staffs. Mm. And I, I think when you you see and are a part of that environment. Mm-hmm. You understand if you're if you're going to reach more people, you can't do it the same way at certain you know at, at certain sizes of your church. Right. Okay. And uh, for a church planter, that can be tough because there's some really tough transitions. I mean, you mentioned one, 
And every church planter I, I've talked to, including me, we always buck the system. It's like, hey, the people who start with you, 90% of them are going to be gone in you know two years or whatever. Yeah. And uh, we're all like, no, they won't. And then all of a sudden, two years in, they're all gone. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just, yeah, but I'm different. Yeah, and, we, and we're church planters, so we always think we're different. Right. Uh, but, you know, it happens. And, uh, and understanding that, um, man, God just brings people in your church for certain seasons. You know, so the scaffolders are there. And, uh, and all of a sudden, man, they're there to a certain point. They're like, okay, my time here is done. It's like, but don't you love us? And it's like, no, their, their time here is done. Yeah. And just to start to realize that. And to see, hey, what, and as we all know this, what, what got you here isn't going to get you there. And I think as, as, a, as a church planter, that, that initial staff team especially, because you bond with them so tightly. Right. And if, for most church planters, you got to hire young and hire cheap because <laughs> I mean, right. we don't have any money. And so there's this point where you got to start making some transition points. Not necessarily it's an age thing, but a capacity thing. Mm-hmm. And so you got to begin to have the courage to make some of those changes and all that stuff and to do it well. And we were just fortunate. Most of them, not all of them, uh, most of them gone well. Some of them still go to our church to this day that were on the initial team. Uh, but it's, you've really got to, you really got to see ahead and then have the courage to be able to go, yeah, if I want to reach more people, I've got to be willing to make some tough decisions along the way. I think that in in the church world, there's this constant pendulum that swings back and forth between, am I going to be a pastor or am I going to be a CEO? Mm-hmm. And as your church grows, I think there's an assumption that you have to go from pastor to CEO. Um, and so I, I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm just not going to do that. The church is never meant to be a business. I'm always going to be a pastor. And that kind of caps their growth. And then you have other people that go, nope, I'm going to be the CEO. I'm never going to see people, talk to people. I'm in my office doing meetings. Um, you know, it's just very, you know, secluded. And then that doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there kind of has to be a combination. And I know you and I have talked about this before, but this shepherd, which is a pastor and a rancher <laughs> yeah. of many sheep. And so what I've noticed, and maybe you have seen the same thing is the the church plant has a lot of, a lot of shepherds. And they're pioneers and they're shepherds on the move and they do really good. But then they have to add to that rancher, not get away from shepherd because you're still shepherding some, but now you have to think about the rancher. So the student minister is no longer just hanging out with kids. He's hanging out with leaders who are hanging out with kids. Mm-hmm. Have you found, have you found that to be true? Yeah. I, I think I made one of the mistakes I've made, uh, I think up till probably the last two to three years where I recognize it because I come from a corporate background, family's corporate background. So I think more corporate. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I think CEO, I think, okay, here's what this means. I, uh, I'm at this position. Okay. And I'm not talking about from a power up standpoint. I'm just thinking, here's, I need to think. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm more of a delegator. I'm more this and more that. And, uh, and, and part of that is true to a degree. Okay. As, as the church grows and all that stuff. But in that I really lost some of that pastoring and being with people side of things. And I, I just, I realized like I finally had to have a a kind of a come to Jesus and go like, what am I in this for? Right. And I'm in this for people. I'm not in this to be a CEO. And so what does it look like to be a leader that understands where their strengths are and to operate in their strengths? But at the same time, how do I stay connected where people are? Because that's what I'm called to do. 
And uh, how do I stay in the trenches with people? And uh, I have to do it different because, as you know, as the church grows, it's going to look different. But how do I make sure I'm doing that more? And so over the last two years, I've made some shifts that hmm. I absolutely, honestly, it's just, it's been, it, it's just, revi- I just have more energy and passion for people now than I ever had before because of those shifts. Can you tell us about some of those? Yeah, I will. Um, I will now, uh, like if I'm speaking on a, on a weekend, I will, I used to like hide my office and I, hey, I got to be preparing mentally and doing all that stuff. And I finally said, I'm not going to do that. If I can't be fully prepared before I get to that point, then there's something wrong. Uh, and I, so I'll take about 15 minutes before service starts and I'll just be hanging out in the lobby, uh, with people I wouldn't do before. I would spend some time in the lobby, but, and I would just kind of sit and I'd sit in a certain area by it. We have what's called the next steps area. So I'd sit by there and if people came, I, but now I initiate and I walk around and I'm engaging in all sorts of conversations, hanging out with, with families and kids and just having fun with that and all that stuff. And then 15 minutes is done and then I'll, I'll go back. Mm. But just a lot more proactive for the worship service. I used to come out like song three, if there's a three song set. And now I'll go stand in the middle of the crowd somewhere about song, beginning of song two. Mm. And uh, I actually learned that from John Burke, who you had on the show not too long ago. Mm. He taught me that. I looked at that and I talked to him about it. Mm. And it was very convicting for me. So things like that, Rusty, have just, they seem small, but it's like, no, this I'm a part of this church. Mm-hmm. I'm not the lead pastor of this church, even though this, I'm part of this church. This is my community as well. Mm, that's really good. So you go out there. I mean, it's, it's got to freak people out when you walk up and stand next to them and they're singing. It's fun, actually. It, it's kind of fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> people will high five you and do different things like that. It's fun. And you know what it does, Rusty? When you go up to speak, you're just more relationally connected and tied to people. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I heard this, uh, oh man, we're getting way off track now. I heard this story years ago about Marlon Brando and how when he was acting, before they yelled action, he would start a conversation with the cameraman so that when his acting came about, it felt more like conversation and less like performance. That's really good. And I I think about that a lot when it comes, like during COVID, we were filming everything. I thought, okay talk to the cameraman, talk to the sound guy, make this relational so it's seamless. I mean, because if you can't learn from the Godfather, I mean, who can you learn oh, from? Oh, yeah. Right? Great point. <laughs> Great point. Okay. So I want to I shift gears and talk about uh, what brings us to this conversation. And, mm-hmm. and we're not going to reveal this guy's name or the team that he's a GM for to protect his privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the past few years, you've developed a friendship with a, uh, a general manager of a professional sports team. Mm-hmm. And... I, I want to know, because you're a huge sports fan, Yep. and I, I want to know just initially, when you found out this guy is not only at your church, but is showing up into your small group at your house, what's your first instinct? Uh, is it, oh my goodness, I can't wait to tell. Oh, I got to ask him about this player. Oh, I got to ask for tickets. I mean, what's the human side of you that starts going, this is so cool? And then where'd it go from there? <laughs> Well, for me, I like want to be him, you know, <laughs> so I'm like, I'd love to be you, man. I'd love to be able to, to, to move the parts and pieces and have those conversations. So that was my first initial thing. It was like, yeah, that's the best thing in the world. Uh, for me, it was, he actually became the general manager, uh, in a current position that he was at. So we were in group together and then this happened and I got to kind of watch this journey with him 
And so to see the change in actually the relationship mm-hmm. is how it went down for us. And uh, once again, it was just like this, wow, I cannot believe that, um, God, that you've put this person in my path. So when you get that, yeah, do you suddenly start thinking of ways, here's how, I mean, let's be honest, we're all, we're all human. Mm-hmm. Here's how I can leverage that. You know, we had a guy come into our church for a while who was an actor, and I thought, how could I work him into a message just for fun's sake, not for, you know, social media? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are, are you, does your mind start going that way? And what did it have to come to? What was the best way that you found that you could serve this guy? And even just like the mayor, where the mayor's expecting you to be out for something, was this guy hesitant? Hmm. There's another guy looking for tickets. Excuse me for just a second while I interrupt this episode. Just want to remind you about our mission right now to sponsor 1,000 kids through Compassion International. Go to their website for more information. Click on Compassion.com slash Rusty to sponsor a child. We're trying to sponsor as many as we can and help out kids that have been left behind through the COVID season. So do that right now and then go back to the show. Compassion.com slash Rusty. This guy hesitant, thinking, oh, here comes another guy looking for tickets. Yeah, I think there's a, you know, as leaders, as pastors, let's just say, but as leaders, before you, I think before we engage in relationships like that, I think we got to do some internal hmm. I- I- internal checking on ourselves for a minute because mm-hmm. it is so easy because, you know, we're a part of this great mission and we want to reach as many people and we've got needs and all that stuff. And then we see this and we go, Hey, this person could really help. And I think if that's where we are with things, don't engage in that relationship. Mm-hmm. I think to, to sort through all that, repent of that stuff, call that stuff out is really important. And just to go, okay, God, God, you have put this person in my path. How can I best disciple and serve them? So um, they can be all that you've called them to be in this great position of influence. So once that happens, then you start to like the mayor conversation we had, you start to put yourself in their shoes for a minute and you go very quickly, they are under a ton of scrutiny. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you go, all right, well, if we make a bad decision, it's like we get 10 bad emails. Okay. If they make a bad decision, the whole city's against them (laughs) and all that stuff. And so it's like, oh, this is a big... Okay, it's a bigger deal. A lot of scrutiny here. And so then you start to realize, okay, they're probably going to be okay with just a small circle and they're looking for safety. They really are because they need what they we all need. And so it's going to be small and safe. And so then I begin to ask the questions, how can I disciple someone like that? How can I help them grow in their faith? And then so I just start to kind of create rhythms of enc- what I call encouragement and challenge mm. in their lives. And that's how what I... What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. It's in a position of high profile like that, or even like the mayor, okay? You know that there is going to be certain seasons that they go through based on their job where that scrutiny and that pressure is really immense. Mm. And uh, so then I take those times to really just provide encouragement and stuff for them. I may send uh, certain uh, scripture passages or devotional stuff that relates to encouragement and uh, to just to really pour into them in that way. Uh, if it's a if it's a season where where great things are happening, I'll often uh, talk to talk to them about perspective and hey, this is awesome. What do you think God's trying to do here with this? 
And uh, how do you see this right now? And what might God want you to do with this as you gain influence? Let's talk about that a bit. And so there's that challenge part of it. Hey, I want you to think bigger than just this. And uh, what's often great, like, so during the mayor, during the times of COVID, when he was just bottoming out, you could just see it with all the pressure and stuff, just calling him and going, you know, you're doing a great job with our city right now. And I understand this is what's going on, but I just, you just need to know uh, you are doing a great job with our city. Mm. And uh, here's why and here's how. I just think that r- encouragement and challenge is really, really important. So you start pouring into him. Was there a time when you feel like, okay, he's backing away. I should probably let off the gas pedal a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or was a time was there a time when you felt like he's leaning in? Maybe I should challenge him a little bit more. Yeah. You know, what, what's the rhythm to that? Yeah, I think there's a, um, I think one of the things that, is, in, is important for me in this is that, or, you know, as pastors, you know, we're, we're pastors and if God sends us people of, of influence, I think one of the things that we, we have to get over is, well, what do I have to offer? You know, I'm a pastor. Okay. And they are this, you know, CEO or, you know, sports leader or whatever it may be making millions and millions of dollars and all that stuff. And so, um, for me, one of the things that I that I always tell myself before I have those type of conversations is everyone's insecure. Hey, I'm insecure, and guess what? They are too. They they are too. And so, you know, for me, I always remember that going into the conversations. And then what I'll often do, Russ, is I will have a conversation at some point and go, Hey, I need you to tell me what you need and how can I best serve you as you walk through this. Mm. And because I know this is what your position is, I know what your schedule is, but I'm here to help you grow in your faith. So how can I best do that for you? And you'll be surprised at what people will say. They really will. And in fact, they'll tell you, you know, there'll be times where I haven't heard from them from three weeks and I'll have sent them stuff. Not every day. You got to honor their time and all that stuff, just at strategic times. And then uh, he'll say, you just need to know how much this stuff means to me. I know I don't respond all the time, but that doesn't mean it's not impacting me. Mm. And so once again, I understand the boundaries and I think we got to have those type of conversations and then do what we can to live within the boundaries that they set for us. Yeah. I mean, I love what you said there about putting yourself in, in their shoes. I mean, we, we often joke about how pastors and sports figures, everybody's a Monday morning quarterback when it comes to our decision making, right? Yeah. And here's a guy that, based upon the trades that he makes, the beloved people that he sends away, the hated villains he brings in, uh, the coaches that he fires, those kind of things, you can have a whole city against you. And we like to always say it's lonely at the top, but it doesn't have to be. And now he's found a safe place in you. Was there ever a time where, I mean, you, you know, this guy's making a lot of money and has access to a lot of resources. Was there ever a time you felt like, it's time for me to give him a financial challenge. Um, I, I want to, you know, not just say, "Hey, are you tithing?" Mm-hmm. But rather, there's one specific project we have coming up. I'd love for you to be a part of it. Yeah, I think, I think it's important to step back before you have that conversation. If there's not a good relationship there, don't have that conversation. Right. Okay. Because the relationship really makes that conversation easier. What's interesting is. There's a couple people that I have I've had the privilege to to have these type of conversations with, and here's the interesting thing about it: those conversations come up pretty naturally. Mm. 
as you're as you're challenging them and you're and you're talking about perspective and you're talking about how are you stewarding your life and these and, and your influence right now, you'd be surprised at how that conversation comes out. And uh, they have more asked they have asked me about it, and I haven't really had to ask them about it. And then what I'll do is I'll start asking questions. What do you think that means? How does that look like for you? Mm. Hey, here's what it means to honor God in this area of your life. Where are you with that? Mm. And is it? And what's great is if the relationship is good, just the sheer honesty in those type of conversations, it's just precious stuff. Yeah. Here's what I found in a lot of them. Tithing is, is tough. It is tough. I mean, it's like, I, I think there's a certain threshold you get, you get to, you know, and as far as on how much you make. And then when you get past that thre- threshold, tithing becomes really tough. Mm-hmm. And so you see that time again, giving to specific high impact projects is definitely something that they're more open to talk about. Right. But, but you will see in those giving conversations, Rusty, they, if the relationship is good, they will talk about the struggle yeah. that they have in getting to the point and becoming more generous, even though they're making more than they were before. Well, there's got to be a little bit of fear from their angle too, because they're so here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, they could be fired at any moment and they got to pick their family up, move across country or be out of work for a couple of years I mean, it seems like if there's anybody who's got a level of scarcity and hoarding, it would certainly be people at that level. I think that's true. I really do. I think that's true. So here you are with this incredible opportunity. And, uh, you know, you've, you've developed some great relationships with the mayor, with this particular individual and other leaders in the city. Um are there some practices that you do? And we talked about some of these mm-hmm. as far as people you hang out with, just so that you don't get this mentality of the only people worth my time are people in the C-suite or making seven figures. So how do you keep yourself balanced there? Hmm. One of the things, if we're just talking about from a, from a giving standpoint, okay, one of the things that we've we've incorporated in our church and I know a lot of churches have this. Okay. But it's how do you reward the proper next steps? Mm. How do you, how do you create a culture of gratitude with that and, and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we've done has worked really well. It's just kept us grounded is every other year we do this where we invite and we do this over like six nights. Okay. I mean, it's kind of a crazy schedule, but it's, it's good where we will invite not just the top givers, but this list of people who then who have taken significant steps in their giving, and it's not an amount thing, it's a percentage thing. Mm. So you might have someone that's, you know, not given that much, uh, that much of an amount, but they've taken significant steps. Well, they're a part of that. And so then we invite them over and my wife and I, we cook out on the grill. We have this whole setup and uh, then we just, we just serve them. We tell them why we're there, why they're there. And we just say, hey, we, we celebrate all sorts of things. We're going to celebrate this as well because this is important. Mm. And we just kind of lay it out there and we tell stories tonight. They get a chance to just, it's a building relationship thing. And it's just cool to be a part of. Mm. It, it really is. It's cool to be a part of. Once again, people give to relationship and we don't do it. We don't ask for money. We don't ask for anything. That's not what it's about. It's really about, man, we're going to celebrate this. Um, and people know it's funny, the people that are there that aren't necessarily people of means, they know it and they know that they're there with people of means and it's a really cool dynamic. Mm, 
I love that. Such a great, great thing because they're often overlooked. And most, most of them will tell you, I don't want any kind of accolades, but mm-hmm. it is nice to know that you're not alone. And it's nice to know that people appreciate it. Oh, so. yeah. And, and no one wants to be thanked. But then when it's done, they're like, hey, I really appreciate that and all that yeah. stuff. I'm like, yeah, of course. Of course. Well, Mark, I, there's something else about your story that I think is significant for a lot of people. And that is you and your wife have adopted three kids uh, from Taiwan. And I would love for you to spend a little bit of time telling people out there that are kind of thinking, I think we need to adopt. Um, you know, because I think that's such a, a noble thing and a wonderful thing, but it's not without its challenges. Mm-hmm. And here your kids are, you know, at the upper end of the age spectrum now, I believe 17 and 12. Is that right? Uh, 17 twins are 17 and Eliana's 14, 14. Okay. So, I mean, you're, you've been doing this now for a little while. Um, educate our people a little bit about adoption and maybe some of the things that you didn't know going in, you wish you would have known. Obviously you still would have done it, but just, you know, here's some things you, you need to be prepared for if you're going to go down that road. My wife and I, we always tell couples adoption is wonderful and uh, all that stuff. And it's wonderful, but it is not easy. So don't go into this glamorizing it because it is not glamorous. We, um, so you were just talking about our three kids. All three of our kids, they have they have pretty huge challenges. And uh, so, for example, our daughter, she has she's in ninth grade. She has what's called reactive attachment disorder, and you wouldn't know it if you met her. But it's very common with international adoption. It's something that happens when the frontal lobe of their brain doesn't attach within the first year, and so it makes it very difficult for them to uh, connect with people. Okay, and so like she's in ninth grade, she's never had a friend. Never had a sleepover, never a birthday party, all that stuff. And once again, if you met her, you would not know the difference. Well, we weren't told about any of that stuff. Mm. And so we weren't equipped with all of any of that stuff, the emotional stuff that comes with that. And as far as emotional deficiencies and none of that stuff. And so I don't say that to be doom and gloom about adoption, but I think a lot of times couples go, Hey, we're going to adopt and all that stuff. And we're like, Hey, that's great. But you just need to know the journey you're going on is a, it's not a glamorous journey. It's going to be a struggle and a fight. So you just need to be aware of that going into it. Uh, we, we're part of some adoption communities. Uh, and it's always fun because you'll be in some of those chats with them or you talk to them on the phone. And all of us will be like, oh, man, we feel like failures as a parents because here's what we have right now. And we don't even love our kids right now. And I know people who don't adopt feel that way. But I think there's a deeper level because a lot of times you're just, you're just you feel like you're just more fostering. And that's it. But yet they're, they're your kids. And so we're all like, oh, me too. And me too. And it's like this, okay, this is harder than we thought, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Well, um, I know that uh, it's probably taught you a lot of things about the love of God and just patience. And, and certainly, I mean, you have, you have twin boys mm-hmm. and then you bring a, another girl into the mix and they're not biologically connected. They're different as far as boy and girl. And now you have all these other issues. I mean, it's just got to bring about a lot of interesting conversations and challenges. <laughs> my, my wife and I have, um, we've had our moments. We'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, We've had them, but you know what? We always say this and we're so fortunate that God gave us this family and the challenges and all that yeah. stuff. But you do, you just learn so much. I mean, parents do in general, but 
you really, you know, they talk about, you know, we're adopted. Uh, the Bible talks about that we're adopted. We just see that differently. Mm, and so. uh, just the joy and the pleasure, because we look at our kids and we go, man, they, they may be from some other country. They're ours. Right. They're ours. Right. And we don't think any different. I love it how so many people think that the boys look like you. Oh yeah, I, I in think Taiwan that's just they did. Fantastic, yeah, <laughs> yeah, in Taiwan that they did. They're like, hey, uh, so who's the mom? <laughs> As Donna's just sitting there, that's so great. And I'd, I'd always say she doesn't know. She doesn't know. <laughs> all right, I'm going to give you some rapid fire questions here. Um, Let's do it. First of all. Uh, you live in Milwaukee, and mm -hmm. I love Milwaukee and the people that listen to us there, but I got to be honest with you, having visited you there many times and having gone to the state fair, you've struggled having gone to having gone to a Brewers game, <laughs> man, that is a unique place. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to give you uh, three different terms, and you tell me how Milwaukee views these terms. Oh, I love it. Beer. God in the flesh. <laughs> the incarnation itself <laughs> uh, it really is a spiritual thing up there i mean it is man I when they you. sang roll out the barrel at the brewers game i mean people were weeping and oh, arms outstretched it, people don't know they think hey there's a lot of drinking in our city then they come here and they're like wow there's a lot of drinking in your city <laughs> so yeah it really letter. was evident during the the milwaukee bucks games when they show the deer district outside and all you could see was a mass of humanity and huge signs that said beer. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and it was like not, and it wasn't even promoting beer. It was or any type of beer, just beer. Yes, that's right. It doesn't really matter what kind, just mm -hmm. just beer. That's my city. okay. Um, the Packers. Well, you're talking to someone who can't stand the Packers, but um, <laughs> here the Packers are a religion. Mm -hmm. the I mean, it's it's in a city that's a hundred thousand people. Okay, the Packers are. There is a, you know, the state, own, quote unquote, owns them. Right. So people here own them. There is just this really intimate tie with that team. Brett Favre. They love him or they hate him? I think it all depends on who you ask, but I think forgiveness has been exchanged. I, I'll put it to you that way for the most part. <laughs> They're very spiritual people yeah. up there. <laughs> there was a lot of forgiveness that needed to happen when he left and all that stuff. So I think. I think they would say they love him. Okay. And for what's uh, for some strange reason, Milwaukee decided when the clock turned from 1989 to 1990, they decided we're not going. Mm -hmm. They have stayed in the 80s yep. from the mullet to the to the attire, which comes back as retro every now and then. <laughs> what is the fascination with the 80s and especially the music? That's a great point. I, I don't know. I... Um... I don't know if it just because it was the greatest decade ever. <laughs> Agreed. And, and uh, <laughs> but you were exactly right, man. The locked in the eighties is it's a thing here. There is well, no doubt. I mean, some of your most popular radio stations are eighties, you know, radio stations, and all of your music fests are just where all the <laughs> the bands from the eighties just go to go to die. Oh man, Guns and Roses just played here in one of the big music festivals this past weekend. Man, it's sold out. Oh my goodness. Well, I know you're there too. Oh, I wish. Um, okay. Uh, a couple last things, and that might mm -hmm. actually be beneficial for people. Give us a couple books that you've read recently, because you and I exchange book titles yeah. all the time. I, I view you as mm -hmm. my reading hero. I'm trying to keep up with you. But um, what are a couple books that you've read that would be really helpful for people? I, 
I think uh, just kind of going to some different categories, I think for a spiritual formation book, Life Without Lack by Dallas Willard mm. is, I, I read that now once a year. Mm-hmm. It's about, it's, it's, if you're a Dallas Willard guy, it's people don't know this book. This is his best book. Yep. And so Life Without Lack, uh, the third option by Miles McPherson yep. is, I, I think, a great book on race. Mm-hmm. It's a great introductory book. So you can give it to the average person, let's say sitting in your church, that's like, what? What is? I don't understand this. I just think he does a great job across the board. And, I, and I'm kind of passionate about the race thing. So uh, I, I think it's a fantastic book. I think any leadership book about Nick Saban. Yeah is really good. I, I just, his stuff on the process and I, it's just fascinating and it's great stuff. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, give me a few podcasts that you listen to religiously besides of course, leading simple. I was going to say leading simple, yes. which by the way, the, the podcast you did on the end time to interview, that was really fascinating. Wasn't that interesting? I, really I thought that good. guy was really, really good. Douglas Cobb. Love oh, that it was guy. great. Um, I listened to the aggressive life, Brian Tomes podcast. Love just his different guests and all that. So I, I love his approach. He just really pushes, right. pushes us. Um, here's one just for theology's sake, because I think it's important to to just wrestle theologically speaking. Ask N.T. Wright. I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but just some great stuff uh, with that. And then I, I love Craig Rochelle's leadership podcast. I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. I love it's like 22 minutes and you know, he, you're just like, you're done. You know what he's talked about and all that stuff. And then just for the sports side, Colin Cowherd's um, podcast is great too. The best of the herd. The best of the herd, but you got to just listen to the best of the herd because it's about 45 minutes. And I like it, not just for the sports side. I think he brings so much great leadership stuff into place. He really does. And I just think if you can run a great sports organization, a sports team, there's just a lot lot to learn from there. So I don't just listen to it for the sports. I listen to it for the leadership stuff as well. You know what I find most fascinating about sports books as I get older is everybody's getting older except the players, Mm. you know, I mean, they just rotate in and out. You're still dealing with guys that are 24 to 28 years old. And so their generation is changing the ways that they process changes. And yet these corporate guys, they're getting older and have to continue to find ways to relate. The fact that Nick Saban can still relate to a 20 year old is unbelievable to me. Well, and not only that, but as leaders, we all have that challenge of, especially now as things are changing so fast uh, in our world, but when you look at Nick Saban, I heard this story the other day where uh, I think it was about five years ago, where obviously he was all about defense and you saw offenses change and the spread and all that stuff. And, you know, I mean, he's 65, 64 years old at this time. You're kind of set in your ways, mm-hmm. but he had the guts to hire Lane Kiffin yeah. and say, design me a new offense that scores a bunch of points and does this. And he's continually, do- I just thought, man, that's yeah. it. As church leaders, that's how we got to think going forward. It's just great. I think you, we can learn so much from sports leaders. And you mentioned Lane Kiffin. That's a dirty word around mm. here, buddy. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. Oh yeah. <laughs> How long was he at USC? Oh, probably about 20 minutes. Yeah. I don't know. A year and a half or so. I, at Oakland, it was a short time too. And Tennessee was a short time, but he settled in now. Lane, Lane settled in now. Yeah. <laughs> well, until somebody calls. <laughs> <laughs> well, brother, you know, I love you. I'm so grateful for your time on our podcast. I know you've blessed a lot of people. This is such, such good stuff. Uh, all different avenues too, because you are a Renaissance man. You you deal with many different areas of life. So thanks, Mark. Well, I love you. You have made such a big, I mean, you're like a mentor to me. I mean, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you as far as in Milwaukee and just all that stuff. Love your podcast. 
And uh, but once again, you are are one of my people I look up to uh, the most. And so I'm just proud of you. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. I, I appreciate that, buddy. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I had so much fun talking to Mark. We're very close. He's a great friend, and, and I just value him so, so much. Um, so I, I want to invite you just to share this with somebody. Somebody might be you know, blessed by this in some way and might have interest in how to influence influencers. Pass this along. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. It helps us out a ton. And next week, we'll be back with uh, the final episode of the month. We're talking with... Man, this guy's a genius. His name is Dr. Michael Youssef, and he is an Egyptian Christian, has planted churches, led churches, and has incredible work on the Hebrew names of God. Boy, this is going to be a real mind bender for us. So you're going to want to make sure you're back for that. And that's episode 173 next week. Well, hope you have a great week, and we will talk to you next week. And as always, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.